This is the best of the week on Relevant Radio. IVF is not about babies. IVF is about on-demand designer babies shipped worldwide. What is the rule for children's rights? There is one rule. The rule is adults do hard things for kids. If you are forcing a child to sacrifice for you, you are violating the rights of the child, and that is where every adult should stand in the way. One of the most painful things in a child's life is if they've lost their mom or dad. Surrogacy splices what should be one woman, a mother, into three purchasable and optional women. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Yeah, those are uh, really important truths surrounding IVF and that whole conversation. It was uh, Katie Faust uh, on the Lila Rose podcast. But uh, let me bring up the speed of what's happening. I thought we'd talk about this. I know there's many of you who are listening that had children or maybe grandkids because some of you loved used in vitro fertilization. And that's a sacred life. It has dignity. I thought we'd take a look and some of the confusion over IVF. And the Alabama Supreme Court last week, uh, they came out with a decision and it allowed a negligence lawsuit against a fertility clinic to go forward. And it brought a lot of hand-wringing, whether or not this is going to impact in vitro fertilization or IVF. Apparently, what happened was there was a, I think it was a wandering patient. They, They went into a prohibited area and they knocked, over some trays and on these trays they had these frozen embryos and a couple of those children were lost and so the family sued over negligence the hospital contended that look alabama law didn't protect unborn children outside the womb but court said well it did actually this is raising a lot of questions about the morality that's what i want to talk about not the legality but the morality of ivf when it first came out in 1978 we had the birth of uh, Louise Brown in, in the UK. The, the Catholic Church was very quick to condemn it. But, you know, 45 years ago, by almost a half a century now, and it's kind of fallen off of Catholics' radar screens. And a lot of Catholics have just come to assume that, you no, know, it's a good thing. It, it helps couples have babies. So church has got to be okay with that, right? Some of you might be surprised to find out that is not the case. You know, when, when uh, Pope St. Paul VI, he wrote Humanae Vitae back in 68, What did everybody focus on? They focused on the fact that it prohibited artificial contraception. He was so prescient. He was so prophetic in what he saw and what he wrote. He also, at the very same time, he condemned any fertility method that separated fertility from the marital embrace. And here to go through all this with us right now is Father Tapaholczyk. He is uh, one of the leading ethicists in our country. He's a senior ethicist at the National Catholic Bioethics Center. He writes a column you might want to check out called Making Sense Out of Bioethics. It appears in diocesan papers across the country. Just go to his website. You can go to fathertad.com or ncbcenter.org. That's his other website. Hey, Father, good to have you back. Good afternoon. Good to join you. Boy, this story has really been growing legs, hasn't it? There have been a, just a flurry of people addressing you know, the morality of all this. So I thought it'd be good to do a one-on-one today. You know, let's walk people through it. Can you give us the details while, of course, remaining family-friendly, you know, what IVF uh, ultimately entails? Yes. I mean, let me just, you know, preface the remarks a little bit by saying uh, I've been amazed by just watching the evening news four days in a row, NBC Nightly News, And this story was near the top of the roster every single night, four nights in a row. So I said to myself, this is incredible. I mean, perhaps the most telling thing about the reaction to the Alabama Supreme Court decision is just how widespread the outrage seems to be. 
And, you know, the reason for this, I believe, touches exactly on what we're going to be looking at, the whole moral question, and the fact that, you know, I think it was George Orwell, right, who said, in a time of deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. Mm. And I think that's really, you know, what the court did here. They stated the truth about human beings at the earliest stage of their existence and said, look, logic here demands that we treat them the same way we treat other young individuals. They're just very young, very vulnerable. This story has opened up a lot of discussion around something that has, for the most part, I think not gotten much uh, airtime. It's the kind of thing, as you implied in the opener, people have gotten used to it. They've gotten accustomed to it. It's sort of gone by the wayside and everybody thought, oh, that's past history. And this, you know, offers us the opportunity to really look at a fundamental kind of injustice that is going on in pretty much every major city in our country. The manufacturing of human beings, the production of human beings in glassware. And of course, that's never where any of us are entitled to be brought into existence. We should be loved into existence through that body-to-body self-giving of husband and wife. That loving embrace is the only way to respect our origins. So I think this is, you know, the core issue. And I think a lot of people, of course, understand intuitively, oh, there's some other collateral damage here that we should all be very worried about, which is, for example, the fact that you typically create extra embryos. And these embryos tend to be frozen if they're not implanted. And so many families have children on ice. And this is a hugely awkward situation that they realize later sometimes that, you know, they wish they hadn't gone down that path. And, you know, it also involves a kind of violation of our sexuality here. The, the treatments for the man and the woman Uh, These steps involve problematic steps to basically hand over your sex cells so that somebody who you pay a fee to will produce your children for you. So these are, you know, some of in outline, some of the key moral issues that the church from the beginning has emphasized. This is dehumanizing. It's not the way that human life should be brought into the world. And we owe it to our own children to make sure that they're protected from coming into the world in this fashion. So often you'll have in vitro fertilization babies born, and then when they're born, they're think, they have to think about, well, gee, do I have brothers and sisters who either were thrown away during the process or who are left behind in the cryogenic storage units at these different fertility clinics? So, you know, very, um, very serious concerns raised here. and. I'm grateful at least that this story has grown legs in the way that it has. Well, let's talk about some of these things in in a little bit of greater detail so people can understand it. Um, One, IVF is morally unacceptable, right? So somebody thinking about it, they should not do this, right? Right, right. That's absolutely the case. And I think what's important even is to go a little more specific and say, as the church does, that this represents something that you should never do. In other words, sometimes people think, well, it seems like there should be some kind of circumstances where this would be okay. You know, if the couple really can't get pregnant any other way, then shouldn't this be? And at the end of the day, this is what we call an intrinsic evil. It is always wrong, regardless of what your motivations, good as those may be, 
are. It's an action that always crosses an objective moral line. So yes, that's that would be the short answer to your question. Yeah. Mike, you had a thought on this. Yeah, you know, I, kn- I know infertility plagues a lot of young couples today, but I, I really think that the concept of adoption just keeps getting pushed farther mm-hmm. and farther to the wayside when these these very popular technologies keep getting talked about, especially by celebrities. With adoption, the child is the client, and all of the parents are being vetted to extreme lengths uh, so that each child is being put in a loving and safe home. With IVF, it's the complete opposite. The parents are the client, and these big reproductive technologies will go to whatever length um, and whatever cost to make sure that these parents are getting what they want, quote-unquote, no matter how many human lives they'll discard in the process. Yeah, Maggie, I think that's spot on. Uh, Really, the customer is always right in IVF, and children are pawns who are being utilized really throughout this process and, you know, suffering grave injustices along the way. So that's entirely correct. And in a good adoption protocol, I I mean, you're right, the child is sort of the centerpiece, and we're saying, all right, what are we going to do here to get a family for this child who needs to be adopted that's the best family we can find. And we're going to vet them in this way and vet them in that way. Absolutely. So that should be always our approach, that the child, especially because of his or her vulnerability, should be front and center, really, of the way we approach these questions. They're not an afterthought. They're not some kind of trophy. They're not some kind of possession. They're not a right that anybody can lay claim to. I think that's key to you know, clarify. Two other aspects I want to hit on that I didn't touch. One, the cost. It's it's not inexpensive to do this. And two, there's confusion if someone is created and develops in a test tube, how they're ultimately viewed. But but your thoughts on those two issues? Yeah, I think uh, the financial piece is important to acknowledge that part of the pushback that we're seeing here that's so outspoken, I think, is because we are now dealing with a multi-billion dollar industry. And once you have that much money at play, it really gets hard to see the moral and ethical lines with clarity. So there's strong pushback. I suspect this Alabama Supreme Court decision is going to you know, undergo a lot of tweaking and following pressure from the industry, from the infertility industry. So that's one sad component of this. The other piece that you mentioned about you know, a lot of times people say, well, look, it's an embryo, it's in glassware, it's in a test tube. I mean, that's not really a human being. That, that location isn't the right location. And it's like, well, look, human beings can be in some very unusual locations, but they're still human beings and they will require all kinds of support uh, when they're in those other locations. I mean, for example, if you have a human being that's underwater, they'll need scuba equipment, you know, or humans in the Arctic, they need heating right. And so humans, when they're very small and vulnerable, they may need to be frozen in order to be protected and preserved because we're not able to grow them, you know, for uh, an extended period while they're in the glassware. But they're still human. They're just as human as those individuals underwater or in the Arctic. Reba is in uh, Roseville, California. Hi, Reba. Good afternoon. Hey, I just wanted to share my story real quick for encouragement to others. Uh, So my husband and I met later in life. We got married. I was 34. 
we knew that we wanted kids. We started uh, trying to start our family pretty early on, but it didn't happen right away. Um, we went to a fertility clinic just to check my hormone levels and to see if there was a medical reason. At that time, they were kind of suggesting IVF, and we were both definitely against that. Um, we tried naturally for a while. It didn't work. We gave up, and then three months later, it happened naturally. Wow. So wow. we gave yeah, birth Lisa, to a healthy girl. I had my first child at 36, and then uh, a year after she was born, we were trying again, tried for a year. It still didn't happen. We went back to the fertility clinic just to see if my hormones were worse, mm -hmm. better, the same. At that point, they said, you should def if you want a second child, you should definitely be doing IVF, and you might even start considering an egg donor. I walked out of there in tears. My husband and I looked at each other and said, no way, no how. We gave it up to God. We said we are happy with one child if that is our blessing. Three months later, we were pregnant naturally. Wow, praise God. Um, I love and it. And then it gets better. It gets better. So I had my second child at 39, healthy oh. baby boy. Um, three years later, we figured I was an old mare out to pasture. My eggs were done. Yep. No more kids for us. And we got pregnant again naturally by the grace of God. And that's Baby it. number three. Right, Reba, that's it. God's the author of life. He could give it to Sarah. He can give it to you. He can give it to anyone. We have to be faithful to him in all things. My thanks to Father Tad Paholchek, senior ethicist at the National Catholic Bioethics Center. Check him out at his website, fathertad.com, or go to ncbcenter.org. Hey, like what you just heard? Then share it with your family and friends. And thanks for listening.